Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. You can hear me better. Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome everyone who's here in the house with us today, as well as everyone who is joining us online. Awesome good morning to you. And if you're watching this at a later date, doesn't matter what time it is, time of day it is, we welcome you and um, are glad you joined us today. We're excited about what's going to happen today. We're excited about this series and, and what, it, what it represents and hopefully what we're going to glean from it, what we're going to learn. Um, I'm also feeling really encouraged. Something was speaking to my spirit this morning. And what it was, there's a number of things. But one of them was I'm standing at the back and I'm worshiping. Um, and I look around. I tend to do that. I look at the back of all your heads because I'm in the back there. And I saw a gentleman. I'm not going to call him out, but he's sitting over here. And the back of his shirt says, we're going to be okay. I was like, wow, God, you can speak through a t-shirt. We're going to be okay. God, God, you are working. You are on your throne and you are in charge. Amen? Well, in case you aren't really watching the the calendar, Christmas is only 12 days away. Only 12 days left until Christmas. You have 12 days left to get your tree up. You got 12 days to decorate your house. You got 12 days to finish your Christmas shopping. And for some, you have 12 days to now start your Christmas shopping. I know that's typically me. We're, we're kind of last minute with that. But today we're going to continue our end of year series called Caroling Through Christmas or Caroling Through the Christmas Crisis, if you will. And I want to say something. Christmas messages, they can be really challenging. As a pastor, as someone who speaks, they can be very challenging because at this, type of, at this time of year, what you're used to hearing is a message about the Christmas story. That's what's most common to hear whenever there's a Christmas um, series going on or services around Christmas. But at the same time, you know, here at Living Water, we feel that it's very, very important that we have some, something that you can take away as well, something practical, something that you can apply to your lives to really help out. And last week, that's what we tried to do. If you, if you were um, here last week or if you tuned in, you saw we spoke about Mary and Joseph and the curveballs, but how the the angel came down, angel Gabriel came down and spoke to them. Um, and really, it's a, it's a spin on the Christmas story, or a part of it at least, really seeing what was life like for Mary and Joseph at that point in time. And we hope, again, always to give you something that's a little bit different, something that you can think about, something that you can ponder, maybe even something that will challenge you when you leave here, Right? Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. What I'm going to do is, as you see, we have our awesome worship team up here with me still. Uh, So give it up for the Artesian Well. And they're going to do a little something for me. All right? They're going to go ahead and kind of play like a rhythm track for me, a little background music for me. Kick that off. See, because today we're talking about a message that's called Silent Night. And I think it's one of those songs that most people know, right? Most people at Christmas, they know the Silent Night song. It's 
probably one of the top two famous songs. It's probably Joy to the World and Silent Night. That's, that's what I would probably guess. But we're gonna try something to remind you of Silent Night in our own little way. Take it away. for the LWCC worship team, the Artesian Well. And if you're at home watching, you be giving it up too because these guys are amazing. Thank you guys. See, what you don't realize is that whole thing, I just kind of threw it on them literally like maybe 20 minutes before church service started and they were able to pull that off. So thank you, Amanda and the rest of the team. You guys are truly, truly, truly amazing. We thank you. But we love Silent Night. We love that song. It doesn't matter what version of it is. There's something truly amazing about this story of, of the virgin, right? And a child. And the sentime, um, sentimentality. I can't say that word. Sentimentality. 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 We're going to go with that. It is truly, truly, truly a Christmas anthem. That being said, there is something about Christmas that is troubling to me. There's some things about Christmas that, you know, I don't particularly like. And the biggest one is that in our society, we have sentimentalized it. We've sentimentalized the baby. We've sentimentalized the Virgin Mary and Joseph. We've also commercialized it. If you don't know that, right, Christmas has definitely become a commercial event right? Our society today says, give us the baby. We want to see that baby. And you know what? Give us the virgin as well, because we love that story. We love to tell people that story. We reminisce about that story. But that's about it. We don't need anything else. We don't want to know anything about Jesus. Just give us the baby and give us the Virgin Mary. Nothing else about Jesus. We don't want to know about his history. We don't want to know the reason why he came. But again, we love the commercial aspect, right? So whatever you do, you can buy whatever you like, stores will tell you. You know, we'll do whatever we want. You can welcome people. We can put up wreaths. We'll sing some songs. We'll put up Christmas trees. But whatever you do, let's not focus too much attention on what the real story is. Let's really not tell them what the, the true meaning of Christmas is. Let's not do that. Let's just, you know, keep having them come in and shop. Think about it. Think about this. This is Christmas, right? How would 
how would it feel if we were to celebrate Martin Luther King Day, but it was forbidden to say anything about Martin Luther King? That would be pretty ridiculous, right? It would be pretty ridiculous, but I want to tell you that that's kind of where we are as a society. You don't say something about someone because you might offend someone else. You know, I hear this talk about tolerance and that people need to be more tolerant. As far as I'm concerned, Christians are probably the most tolerant set of people on this planet. Why? Because we take beatings and we're also told, well, you know, you got to keep this to yourself. But everyone's trying to look for this equality, but yet the equality doesn't seem to stretch and exist with Christians as well. So there's a level of intolerance that people have for Christians, but yet we're expected to be tolerant of everyone else. It's crazy where things are going. Back to my story. I read a story about um, a little girl who was walking along the street with her mother, and she looked in the window of a store. And she turned to her mother and said, Mom, who's the baby? The mother says, Oh, honey, that's baby Jesus. To which the little girl replied, Really? Why doesn't he grow up? He's the same size as last year. Well, today we're going to realize that the birth of the baby Jesus may have been at a time when there was silence. Nature was silent. Things were calm at this point in time, just like the lyrics of the song say. But it might have been very, very silent and personal. But at the same time, hear me when I tell you this, in the cosmic realm, in the picture that's much bigger than us that we don't even realize, his birth, the birth of that little baby, began a whole series of battles. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Silent night, holy war. I'm going to go out on a limb, I think it's a pretty safe limb for me to go out on, and say that you've probably never listened to a Christmas message in your life, big, big claim, in your life that was taken from the book of Revelation. Probably not. But today we're going to spend some time there. Why? Because Revelation 12 shows us what really happened when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the real story, what really happened. Because what happened to him was not seen by the naked eye, but the cosmic world around us was a buzz. And as I said before, the battle began. Revelation chapter 12. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky. And he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman 
as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. See, perspective is a very interesting thing. What I just read to you, this is all that was happening the night before Christmas. So we look at the story, we look at, you know, the, 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 the manger and the story, and it's important to do that, but there's a lot more going on. That story happened the night before Christmas. The dragon wanted to kill the child, the Christ that was coming. In order to understand this, we have to realize that the serpent, um, against the serpent, God made this statement back in Genesis, I will put enmity before you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You see, the history of the Old Testament is that the dragon, the devil, Satan, the serpent trying to kill the seed of the woman. That's the history. If we look through it, think about it. First of all, he starts with Abel, because he thinks that Abel, born of Adam and Eve, is the seed. So what does he do? The enemy inspires Cain, his brother, to kill Abel. Lo and behold, Adam and Eve have another child, Seth, and the seed continues on through Seth. He causes the whole world to fall into sin, to a state of rebellion, lawlessness, and horrendous sexual sin. And he thinks that the whole world is now corrupt. So therefore, if everyone's corrupt, there's no more seed. Mission accomplished. But surprise, surprise. God has a different plan. And you have Noah in the ark. And with his family. And he's carrying along that seed. Then the whole world is paganized. The whole world is paganized. And he thinks... What can God do now? What could God possibly do now? God said, okay, here comes Abraham being called by God to continue the seed throughout the world. Now, the devil overhears because he is a student of prophecy. You know that, right? You know that the devil knows the Bible. You know that the devil knows the word better than any one of us do. He is a student of prophecy. And he overhears the words of the angel Gabriel. We spoke about this last week. He overhears Gabriel talking to Mary in Luke 1.31. He says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great. Say, very great. Amen. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So the devil overhears Gabriel talking to Mary. So now he says, ah, I got it now. He begins to realize that this is the seed that was promised. This, finally, I know this is where I need to focus all my attention. This is the promised seed of God. And so we have this scene in Revelation, right, where the woman who actually represents Israel is about to give birth 
to a child. And the dragon is standing by, ready to devour the child as soon as it's born. Now let's walk through how the enemy planned this out. How he works. How the enemy works. So Jesus is born. And the dragon inspires King Herod at that time to have all of the male children two years and younger in Bethlehem and the surrounding area killed. That happens. The king, inspired by the enemy, completes that. But guess what? God had a different plan. And because of God's provision and plan, Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus, they escape to Egypt. And the devil's plan is foiled. So the first thing the devil tried to do here is flat out, he tried to destroy him. And I can't help but wonder how many of you how many of you have been there? How many of you have felt that? You know, you're at a point where you feel like the devil is trying to destroy you. The enemy is after you. You're fighting the good fight. You're doing all that you can, but you're getting hit from every side. Anyone been there before? You feel as if the weight of the world is on your shoulders and you can't bear anymore. The walls are closing in from all sides. The devil's planting thoughts in your head. Thoughts for you to have, do self-harm to yourself. Thoughts of cutting. Thoughts of suicide. All these depressive thoughts. The devil is at you, trying to destroy you. Have you been there before? I know a lot of us have. And I know it's hard. And I know it's tough. And I know that it seems impossible. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that you are in good company. Why? Because Jesus was there. You are in good company because the devil did the same thing to Jesus. He tried to destroy him. When that didn't work, the devil tried something else. He tries to distract him. So now you have the temptation in the wilderness, right? And Satan says to, to Jesus, hey, you're hungry. Because Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, right? He says, you're hungry. Why don't you tell this rock to turn into bread, right? He tempts him that way. He also takes him to uh, the top of the temple. And he says to him, if you jump off the temple... Because God loves you so much, just jump off the temple, he'll save you, right? And then the third thing he does is he brings him to the top of a, to a mountain or a cliff, overlooking the entire earthly kingdom. And the devil says to Jesus, he says, all you need to do, bow down to me, surrender to me, give in to me, and everything that you see, everything here, this entire earthly kingdom, I'll give it to you. It's yours. You'll be able to rule without even going to the cross. Well, you see, that didn't work. That didn't work. Because in response, each time, each time that the, the enemy threw something, a temptation at Jesus, Jesus met him with the word of God. Amen? 
He met him with the word of God, and his response was, It is written. It is written. Over and over and over again. And Satan had to leave. I wish we would get that in our spirit. You see, Satan didn't have to leave because it was Jesus. You need to understand that. Satan didn't have to leave because it was Jesus he was talking to. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus came down as flesh, right? So Satan sees him as a human, and he's appealing to the human side of him, the human tendencies and those kind of temptations. Satan did not have to leave because he was talking to Jesus. Why did Satan have to leave? Satan had to leave because the power of God's word that Jesus was talking with. Did you hear me? Not because it was Jesus, because the power of God's word. And I wish some of us would get that today because you don't have to be Jesus. You don't have to be Jesus. You can't be Jesus. But it's about the power of God's word. If we could get that in our spirit and get that in our mind, we would gain so much more power. So much more power. The devil had to flee because of the word of God. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Then we see that Satan tries to discredit him. Regarding Jesus, the Pharisees said, You are Beelzebub, the father of demons. You are a demon-possessed person. And I can't, I can't help but wonder how many people have been in that situation. How many of those in this room or watching online have been in that situation where you know that you've been doing the right thing? You know that you're trying to be your best to be upstanding. You're acting honorable in everything that you do, doing your absolute best. And in return, what are you getting for your honor and for your commitment and for your honesty? You get written off. You get pushed to the side. You get classed out. Trade it in for a new model. You've been overlooked time and time again. There's lies that are told about you. And the focus of the lies is either to keep you down or to elevate someone else. I want to tell you again, as crazy as this sounds, you are in good company. You are in good company. God doesn't sleep. He sees everything always. He knows your hearts. He knows your pain. He feels your pain. And he's on your side. So it doesn't matter what they say. If you know that you're acting in accordance to God's will and God's standards that he's declared, it doesn't matter what people say. God doesn't sleep. God knows what's going on. Next, the enemy tries to derail him. The people in Nazareth, his hometown, you might have missed this if you read the story because it's literally like one little, one little um, line. But the people in his very own town, his hometown of Nazareth, they tried to push him off a cliff. Did you know that? Did you know they tried to push Jesus off a cliff? 
because they, they didn't like what he was saying. His own people. Thankfully, he was able to escape. But the devil will throw things your way. The devil will throw things your way to try to get you off track as well. And the sad part is oftentimes the devil will use your own friends and your own family to do it. He's really good at that. I've heard a, I forget how it goes exactly, but there's a statement where it says, the devil, the devil knows more from being old than from being the devil. Right? He's been around a long time. So there's nothing new under the sun that he does, but we also, we also know that he studies. He and his angels, his, his demons, they study. And they see weaknesses. They see the areas where they can get a foothold in. And it may start small. But it might be knowing that, you know, it could be anything. It might be knowing that there's something you're very sensitive to. And it doesn't take much for him to plant a seed with a friend or with a family member to highlight that area or to pick on you in that area. Why does he do it? Because he's trying to derail us, to have us lose our focus on what we're supposed to be doing and the direction we're supposed to be pushing, to slow down our pursuits, to make you want to take a back seat. And I remember a close friend of mine saying something. I heard, I heard um, um, she, she mentioned something at one point that uh, she, she was talking about with someone else. And I was like, wow, that's so powerful, but it's so true. And the situation was she was speaking to someone. Thankfully, I wasn't the someone. And, and based on what the conversation was, she turns to the person and she says, she looks the person in their eye and says to them, I see you in there. I see you in there. How many of you know that the devil will use your family? The devil will use your friends. The devil will use close people around you because that's the easiest way for him to enter into, uh, enter into getting at you. Amen? He tried that with Jesus. He tried it. So again, I keep saying it, but consider yourself in good company. Consider yourself in good company. Because these things are things that Jesus had to, had to deal with, and there were trials that came his way as well. That didn't work, though. They weren't able to accomplish their goal. So what happened? Satan inspires Judas. We all know who Judas is, right? He inspires Judas to betray Jesus. And as a result of that, we know the story. Jesus is nailed to the cross. And his death is confirmed. Jesus is nailed to the cross. And his death is confirmed. And the dragon and those hosts that fell with him, they start rejoicing. They did it. Finally, we got him. He's dead. He's dead. We got him. Guys, job well done. It took a lot of work, but we got it done. He's dead. And they start having this big party. But the party happens a little bit too soon. Just a little bit too soon. You know why? Because three days later, someone say three days. Three, not one day, not two days, not ten days. But three days later, something happened. Something happened three days later. And at that point, Satan begins to learn something. 
that he didn't know before. Satan learns what's a tomb to the Son of God. Did you hear me? What's a tomb to the Son of God? Even if you seal it up, even if you put a guard in front of it, what's a tomb to the Son of God? What's a dead corpse to the Son of God? The answer to the question, fellas and ladies, is nothing. It is nothing to the Son of God. Amen? Jesus raised from the dead. He came back from the dead three days later, and as the text says, he was caught up into heaven. So Satan was defeated again and again and again, full time. Defeated because Jesus triumphed over everything that the dragon tried to do to him. Amen? Let's continue on in Revelation verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. So you're probably saying to yourself, so Pastor Sean, how does any of this kind of relate to Christmas? I'm not getting it. You see, let me tell you, at Christmas time, we recognize what God did for us, right? We acknowledge the birth of the baby laying in the manger. We recognize that and acknowledge that at Christmas. But again, at that very, very moment, on that Christmas day, the first Christmas day, there was a shift in the heavenly realms. So we recognize that. So while it may have been a silent night in the physical, from what we see, there was chaos and there was crisis kicking up spiritually. We're going to back, back out of this and look at this passage a little bit because some people think that Satan was thrown out of heaven while, or sorry, when Jesus died on the cross. Some people think that that's the, 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 the chronological piece. When Jesus died on the cross, that's when it, Satan was thrown out of heaven. And that's not true. Jesus did say that I saw Satan fallen, but that isn't a reference. This is when he's on the cross. This is not a reference to the fact that he is fallen from heaven at that point or that he was cast out of heaven. It's a reference showing that Satan's power was broken at that moment on the cross. Satan's power was broken. It was broken at the cross. That's what the reference is to. There's also scriptures that, that talk about Satan being in heaven or talking with God. To which you may also say, if Satan and his angels were kicked out of heaven, what is Satan doing in heaven? That doesn't sound like it makes sense, right? Well, he's not directly in heaven, as in the presence of God, as in the heaven of heavens, right? He's not in that spot, but he is in the atmospheric heavens, still this spiritual realm, right? And we see that in the book of Job, so it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that shocking, because in the book of Job, we see that he's up there trying to accuse Job, 
And he's doing a good job of it. That's what, that's what he does. He's up with God accusing us to God. What a punk. He is the accuser of the brethren. That's who he is. And just like he put a plan together to beat Jesus, which didn't work, he has his tactics to try and beat us as well. Quick question, how many of you have never, ever, ever in your life felt an attack of the enemy? Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you recognize that he, he, doesn't, he isn't partial. He doesn't just pick on the pastors. He doesn't just pick on those who are reading their Bible. He picks on those who he knows God is caring for and God loves and God has a purpose for. And can I give you another secret? God has a purpose for all of us. You hear me? Here's what he does. He tempts us to sin by making sin look good. I mean, I think we can, we can all agree there's some sins that we've done in our lives that, man, before we did it, we're like, wow, that looks good. Whatever the it is, that looks good. And he sugarcoats it. He doesn't tell us anything about the consequences or what it's going to lead to. No, not at all. And then we think to ourselves, well, in the grand scheme of things, that can't be that bad. This isn't that bad. That's not that bad. So it begins right there. And that's step one, right? The, the, the dumbing down of the sin. And we, oftentimes, we follow right into suit. Eh, a little bit won't hurt. That's okay. Not a big deal. I can control myself. And then after we've sinned, it leads to more sin, which leads to more sin, which leads to more sin. And guess what he comes and he says? That's when he shows up and says, ha, you call yourself a Christian. You think God loves you after what you did? You think God would ever forgive you? You have no right for forgiveness. Not at all. Why would God ever, ever forgive you? As a matter of fact, you knew that it was sin before you did it, and you did it anyway. You have no excuse. And he does what he does. He accuses us. He points the finger at us. And he'll even go to God and tell God, your daughter, your son, that you, you call loved, the one that you said they love you and you died for them, look what they're doing. Look what they turned around and they're doing. Do they even really care about you? They're just playing games with you. He is truly the accuser. And his aim, just like it was with Jesus, his aim towards us is to destroy us, to distract us, to discredit us, and to derail us. The accuser wants us to feel unworthy of God's love. He wants us to feel that we are unworthy of Jesus' sacrifice. He wants us to feel unworthy of the baby in that manger. That we don't deserve to be associated to that baby. But that is not how God sees you. 
I need to get a response on that. That is not how God sees you. Because a lot of people are living their lives believing the lies. A lot of us are believing the lies and we're beating ourselves up. And God is saying, no, son, no, daughter, that's not how I see you. That's not what I've called you to be. You are ahead and not the tail. We need, you, we need to rise up and understand the way God sees us. God looks at you, God looks at me, and he thinks that you are to die for. So much so that that's what he did. That's what he did. It's exactly what he did. I don't know if you had heard this story, but do you remember the experience of, of Martin Luther? I read that it was said that the devil came to him and wrote down all of his sins. And Luther says to him, are you finished? And the devil says, nope, get more paper. So he continued writing down more sins. And Luther says, are you finished yet? He says, nope, there's more. More paper. And once the devil was done, Luther went to the bottom of the last page and he wrote, of all these sins, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses me. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You see, this message is, in fact, about Christmas. But it's not just about Christmas. The Bible tells us in Revelation 12, and they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb. Well, in that scripture, who's, who's the him in that scripture? When it says they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb. Who's the him in that scripture? Shout it out. Satan. Satan. Exactly. That's Satan. That's the enemy. That's the devil. That's who the him is. Who's the Lamb in that scripture? Oh, if we got that, if we all got that and understood that, it's Jesus. But guess what? But guess what? It's grown-up Jesus. It's grown-up Jesus. It's not Jesus in the manger. That's not baby Jesus. That is our Savior, the grown-up Jesus. So the answer, my answer to the little girl is, does Jesus ever grow up? The answer is yes. He did grow up. And it's not the Jesus of Bethlehem that we're talking about. It's Jesus of the cross. It's Jesus of the crown. Did you hear me? We're not talking about the baby Jesus. The fact that Jesus was born, we, we, we obviously we acknowledge and we're so thankful for that. But if Jesus stayed a baby, it wouldn't do you or me any good. It wouldn't do you or me any good if he stayed a baby. And that's what Christmas is all about. It is his resurrection that crushed Satan's head. And we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. So let me give you a suggestion. When Satan, the accuser, reminds you of your past, because he will, you just make sure you remind him of his future. Do you hear me? You make sure you remind him of his future. Now, as I come to a close this morning, 
Friends, I think it's important that we don't confuse something. We are not to confuse the battle with the war. Because the reality is, as we've already said with some of these sins that we know we, we struggle with, the reality is we lose battles. And we will lose battles. We don't want to lose battles. But we're fooling ourselves if we feel that we're never going to lose a battle. We lose battles. But we win wars. We win wars. When Satan appears to have the victory, you need to know that he is just as far from winning as he will be when he's squirming in the lake of fire. When he looks like he has the victory, when he thinks he has the victory, he is just as far from winning as at the end times when he's in that lake of fire. He lives on illusions. And he thinks that because he wins this battle, and that battle, and that battle, that in the end, he would win the war. But you and I know better than that, amen? All you got to do is read the back of the book. It's kind of like a, 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 a fake test, right? Because in a test, you're not supposed to go look at the answer in the back of the book. But, but the Lord is saying, you know what? If you need that, that reassurance, if you want that confidence, hey, go turn to the back page. It's not really the back page, but turn to the end of the book. Read the back of the book. I'll give you the answer. I'll help you out. It's an open book test. Go to the last, the last chapter and you'll see for yourself. That's what God wants us to do. Because the outcome that God has ordained, there is no doubt about it. We don't have any doubt about the outcome. The outcome of Jesus Christ over all forces of secularism is for sure. The outcome is for sure. The outcome of Jesus over all other religions in the world is absolutely sure. Absolutely sure. When all is said and done, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? So today we aren't just merely worshiping the baby Jesus in the manger who won't grow up, like the little girl said, but also the Christ of God who ascended to heaven and is at the right hand of the Father and who has triumphed over all things. Someone say all things. That's, that's, that's a powerful statement, but Jesus has triumphed. He's already won over all things. All things. I don't think there's anything that that doesn't include when I say all things. Kayla, is there anything that all things doesn't cover? No, okay. I just wanted to make sure. She's a teacher, so she can help me, you know, correct me, make sure that I got that right. Jesus is the one that we worship. And he's the one that we love. So, Pastor Sean, how do you, how do you and I fit into all this? This. This. Well, Why should we be thankful for the Christ child who grew up to become Jesus the man? Why? Why should we be thankful for that? 
It's because no matter where we are in life, no matter where we are in life, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what situation is right in front of you, that obstacle that seems like it's going to be a, a impossible to get past, there's always a move. And we are not stalemated. I don't know if any of you are um, into chess or if you've heard of a gentleman by the name of Paul Morphy. Maybe, maybe not, but he is a world-renowned, very, very good chess player. And one day, he was looking at a painting that had been made by an artist about a young man having a chess game with the devil. And the agreement in this, in this picture was that whoever lost would become servant to the winner. And the devil declared checkmate in three moves. And according to the picture, the young man had already laid down his king, accepting defeat. But Paul Morphy, this great chess player, looked at the picture. He studied the picture. He looked at it this way, and he looked at it that way. And in his mind, he played out. How could this game have gone the way it did? Move by move by move. And suddenly, he cried out, Young man, there's a move you can make. You are not checkmated. There is a move you can make. There is a move you can make. And today I speak to those who are bound by sin. And I tell you that there is a move you can make. We're talking about the Christ, the child of Christmas, who triumphed over sin, triumphed over the devil, triumphed over death, and who is triumphant today if we trust him. If we go to him and transfer our trust to him, we will receive his forgiveness. We will receive his grace. We will receive his power. Amen? Amen? There is a move that you can make. I speak to those who are feeling discouraged today. Speak to those who are feeling that they're in a time of despair. For Christmas, or in the Christmas series, um, season, there's a lot of people that are, love Christmas and are happy about Christmas and can't wait for it. But there's another set of people that Christmas is the worst time of year. Christmas brings back bad memories for them. It's a sad time for a lot of people. I speak to those people who feel as if they can't wait for the year to end because life couldn't get any worse right now. There is a move you can make. I speak to those who know Christ as their Savior. But even though they know Christ as their Savior, they're following along at a bit of a distance. A distance. Why? Because you've been defeated so many times before. 
so many times before. So it has you thinking either, God, what can I do differently? Maybe it's having you feel like, God, are you even there? God, do you really love me? I mean, your word says you love me. I hear the preacher up there and he's saying that God loves you. It's written, you know, they, they um, skywrite it. God loves you. But God, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling the love. I'm in a bad place, God. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. The Lord wants you to know there is a move you can make. There is a move you can make. There's nothing that the Father wants more than to have you pulled back in close to Him. Right now, if I was able to do it, I would want to give you a hug on behalf of the Father. Because there's so many people, whether you're in this room right now or you're watching online, there's so many people that feel as if they're all alone. And the reality is, for those who are in Christ, you are never alone. Whether you feel it or not, you need to know you are not alone. You are never alone. You never will be alone. Amen? Amen. As you see the grown-up Jesus, as you see the ascended Christ, as you think of the blood that was shed on the cross, as you think of his triumph, you and me, we get to participate in that triumph through our trust in him, through our repentance, and through our faith. No one is boxed in. No one is boxed in. No one has to say, I have to give in to sin. I have to give in to the devil. No, no one has to. Jesus is saying, there is a move you can make. Make the move. Make the move. For some of us, making that move Maybe to end a relationship that's causing you to sin. End a relationship that's keeping you distant from God. For some, making that move might be to reconcile with a friend or a family member that you had a falling out with. For some, making that move might be to join a support program to get the help that you need and stop fooling yourself. That might be the move you need to make. For some, it might be to pray for strength to stand up for God, even if it means popularity or not fitting in. For some, making a move might mean swallowing your pride and showing grace instead of having to be right all the time. For some, making a move might be to stop resisting God, 
trying to do things your own way that probably have not been working out so well. And for some of you, that move might be a lot more basic. For some of you, the move might be to stop fighting and to turn your life over to Jesus, but not to baby Jesus, to grown-up Jesus. Amen? That last one, that last point, gets me really excited. Gets me really excited. It also excites heaven. It excites heaven, and it puts a smile on God's face. The idea of a sinner coming home, returning to God. If that's you today, if you have never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. It doesn't cost anything. At least not money. It doesn't cost you any money. But it's actually the, the best free gift you can ever receive. It's also the most important decision you can ever make. And it's as easy as A, B, C. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads now, close their eyes. If you're watching online, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. And right where you are, again, whether you're in this room or if you're watching online, and you want to make a decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, it would be my privilege, my honor. All you need to do is repeat these simple words after me. Jesus, I come before you today, and I thank you for the sacrifice that you made. God, I acknowledge that even though we celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas, Lord, I'm so happy stay a baby and that he grew up and that he fulfilled his plan your plan Lord I admit that I am a sinner and I need a savior I believe Send your spirit come into my life. Come into my heart. Change my mind to be like-minded with Christ. I thank 
Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.